Hey, Cowboy Junction, you guys look good. Hey, let me talk to everybody on our online campus today. We want to welcome you guys today. But we're doing it a little bit different way. This last week, we had a young man in our church tragically pass away. His mom and dad are watching online right now. His name was Nehemiah. And the reason why we know him as a church family and him being our little brother in the Lord is because he was a part of our juvenile detention center ministry. And right now we have our young men watching from the JDC in Lovington. Nehemiah was released and went home and his testimony was absolutely wonderful for our faith as ministers and for this church because sometimes we wonder, are we making a difference? Nehemiah was that young man in the JDC that just really would never just cross the line and be accepting Christ as a Savior. But it wasn't out of rebellion. It was because he wanted to make sure, and this is what he told the team. He would say, I don't want to do it until I just give it my whole heart. And one day, after weeks of Jeremiah and the team, Chris and Mondo talking to him, in a baptism service when he was watching the other young men get baptized, it was Nehemiah who approached Jeremiah and said, I think I'm ready to follow. And he stopped himself. And he goes, no, I am ready to follow Jesus. And Jeremiah led him to Jesus on the spot. And in this spontaneous moment, Nehemiah was spontaneously baptized in this incredible moment. And Nehemiah accepted Christ as his Savior. And the way Jeremiah describes it, Jeremiah, it would go like this. He'd go, brother, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, that was my Jeremiah impersonation. How about that? Yes, yeah, that was good. If you know Jeremiah, if you don't know Jeremiah, just clap. It was awesome. What I just did was awesome, okay? And, and he, Nehemiah, was led out of the JDC and was living for Jesus. And him and his friend, cousin, I can't remember, was cousin, were cleaning a gun, and the gun accidentally went off. And Nehemiah lost his life. As believers in Christ Jesus, God takes tragedy and reminds us of the eternal victory. When he closed his eyes on this earth, he opened his eyes in heaven. And so, for the family of Nehemiah that is watching right now, your church family through Nehemiah is here today. And as the young man at the JDC, we normally draw attention to you, but today we're going to turn to Nehemiah's parents and family and let you know, in this short amount of time that we got to be with your son, it was so inspiring to see his transformation of faith into our Lord Jesus Christ. And your son is walking with our Savior right now, and his life is a testimony and a victory that still inspires people to this day. And I want you to know that on behalf of your family in Christ Jesus, we want you to know how much we love you. Cowboy Junction, would you help me welcome Nehemiah's mom and dad to church this morning? (laughs) 
Today, we're in a series called Corinthians 2, and it's officially the last one. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I've got something that I just really feel like is important to talk about. Because usually when you hear about biblical stories, and you hear about, in this case, the church of Corinth, and Paul's missionary journey there, which turned into a church, and now he's the pastor over and teacher over, and then he goes on another missionary journey, and he's having to correct them and pastor them, but apostle them, and we see this whole big turmoil that's taking place. And listen, for the last seven weeks, it has been dramatic around here as far as the ups and downs and the sideways and the byways. They're taking a place in this church called Corinth. The real thing that I don't think I've ever heard anybody ever talk about, what ever happened to the church of Corinth? When Paul ends his letter, it's the last time we hear about this church. But what's the Paul Harvey version, the rest of the story? And today, that's what today's message is about. What ever happened to the church of Corinth? So if you're a visitor today and you've never, accepted, you've never been to Cowboy Junction before and you're just coming in, come in as we talk about it. This is kind of like discussing what happened with those guys What's, what, what was the end story? Did they ever turn their life around? Did they ever come back? Did they ever hear Paul's teaching and respond correctly? Well, let's get to that. So why don't you join me in prayer? Jesus, we love you. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. Jesus, today I pray that today would be an eye-opener to each and every one of us that we have an end story too. And how do we want our end story to be told? We love you. Anoint me. Use me. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Hey, let's go to 2 Corinthians. I know this is going to seem like a lot, but it's not that bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. What better way in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians to just read the whole chapter? Okay? If you have your phones, your smart devices, your Bible. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is Paul's last and final words to the Corinthians. He says this, this will be my third visit to you, okay? Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this is Paul quoting Old Testament scripture about how to build a case that you don't go with one witness, you have a minimum of two or three that this is Paul's third visit that he's going to make. No more letters. I'm going to see you for the third time. And we are going to establish some things. He continues and says, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. Now I repeat it while absent. And here's Paul's warning. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. Paul is just letting them know, after this letter, I'm going to come, and we are going to have a come to Jesus moment. Now, if you've sat through the other services that we talked about Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you know that Paul 
is bringing correction and rebuke because of these last and final bit of rebels that are the leaders that are the false apostles, which Paul goes into detail and says, come on, they're pulling you away from Jesus. I'm pointing you to Jesus. And he's saying, when I get there this third time, I'm not going to go easy. We are going to have a come to Jesus moment. He goes on and says, for to be sure, he, being Jesus, was crucified in weakness, yet we live in God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we live with him in our dealing with you. And he's talking about being a leader here. As a leader, sometimes you, 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 you pour yourself out so that others can become strong. The example of Jesus, he went to the cross so that we could have life and life more abundantly. He goes on and says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is one of the most important parts in this chapter 13. He says, examine yourself to see whether you're even in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? We'll come back to this. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right even though we may seem to have failed. As leaders, we seem like we've failed. But I hope that in our inadequacy of being a leader sometimes, the Holy Spirit would take what we have done and turn this around and you would start winning in your faith. Okay? For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. And then he gives a final greeting. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's be careful there, okay? All the single guys, no. All the single ladies, no. All God's people here send their greeting. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In reading the last chapter of 2 Corinthians and all that Paul has done as a pastor, teacher, and a leader, through his anointing as an apostle, you can truly say that Paul has been poured out like a drink offering. I quote this because of what Paul says in another portion of the Bible He's saying, I think I've reached the end of my life. I've given my best. I've ran the race. I've, I've, I've stood the test. 
I've given God my best. And as you read these two books, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you really do get the sense that Paul was an excellent leader. He was an excellent pastor. There are people today that question whether he was or not. And reality is, is that when you see that he wasn't pointing towards himself or the approval of himself so that he could be exalted, he spent his life to be poured out so that men would come close and draw near to Jesus. That's what leaders do. Leaders are willing to pour themselves out so that others can have freedom. Leaders are willing to give their life so that others can have life. So often we see a leader that may have high Instagram following or popularity galore. But reality is, is that when it comes to being a Christ follower, no one should step into leadership half-heartedly. No one should step up and say, I'm a great leader. I'd be a great leader. Just follow me. The reality is, is that there is a heavy, heavy calling on a leader. It comes with stronger standards than just normal people. In fact, Scripture tells us that leaders are held at a higher accountability than anybody else. That their judgment is even on a stronger standard than other people. Paul is one of the greatest examples of a great leader found throughout Scripture. But in seeing all that ta Paul talked about in the Corinthians, as he talked to them, here's my question. What ended up happening to the Corinthian church? We see 1 Corinthians and a strong rebuke comes and we see people that really steer away from God and say that they're Jesus followers, but they are anything but Jesus followers. And Paul brings a strong rebuke, goes and visits them, comes back and, and then has mud slung in his face. He, people are mocking him, making fun of him, and yet he's able to steer about 90% of them back to Jesus. But there's this last bit of rebel rousers, and it still comes up. After this letter and after his visit, what ended up happening? I don't know if I've ever sat through a message where we talked about what ended up happening, but I thought it was necessary because sometimes we can close the book and just assume that everything turned out great. When it comes to my letters that I read about Paul and, and seeing the way he approached this, the way that he led, surely I assume Everything turned out great. But what you have to do is you have to look at historical books. And you have to take a look at what actually happened. And here we are 2,000 years later. And we have historical records to show us what happened in the church of Corinth. After all that's been said, we're going to go to a man by the name of Clement of Rome. <coughs> there was a couple Clements. But this one is just known as the old guy, okay? You'd have loved Clement of Rome. He lived a very long life, but he took over the leadership of the church after Peter. Peter was the one who, when Jesus turned and said, upon this rock I will build my church. When Peter was crucified upside down and martyred for the Lord, it was Clement that took over from them. He was excellent. 
He did an amazing job leading the church. And just because the apostles quit writing, Clement didn't start writing. Clement tells us that after Paul was martyred and all of the disciples but John were martyred, after the apostles were martyred in the name of Jesus, all the false apostles moved in. And this is disturbing because they were warned and told, don't let poor leadership come in and distract you from the things of God. But we see that after the disciples were martyred, there was a vacancy in leadership. And in fact, Clement tells us that it was less of a vacuum and more of an appointment of the wrong people. In fact, Clement tells us this, that leaders appointed by the apostles, so Peter didn't leave them hanging and Paul didn't leave them hanging. They put people in charge, qualified men, good men, godly men who knew the path of Jesus. They put men in charge to lead the church. But after the apostles died, the false apostles disposed They were disposed by the false leaders. Clement writes this. He says this. To the false prophets in Corinth, he says, guys, they will not find any record where righteous men were ever thrown out by holy men. And I'm just going to let that soak in for a minute. He's warning them. He says, I know that you've thrown out the guys that Paul left in charge. But nowhere in Scripture, Clement points out, Will you find any record of righteous men ever being thrown out by holy men? I don't know where you came from today. I don't know what your story has been on church splits. I don't know how your story has been on hurt and pain in a church that you went to before. But this really made me lean in and think about Being a young man and listening to people tickle our ears with what they thought church leadership should be. What pastors they thought we needed to hire. Pastors that needed to come in and and good, godly men who may have not been articulate, flashy, popular. Clements caused me to look at my lifetime of being in church and wonder if We got rid of the wrong guy. It's just food for thought. Clement didn't quit writing. And in about 80 AD, he wrote this. To the church of Corinth. It is shameful, dearly beloved. Yes, utterly shameful and unworthy of your conduct in Christ that you should be reported. That the very steadfast and ancient of the Corinthians, for the sake of one or two persons makes sedition against his presbyters. In other words, an uprising against his duly appointed ministers. Let us therefore root out, root them out quickly. So with this letter, you would assume that as other godly men get involved, surely Corinth would turn its way. And I have sad news for you today. Corinth never fully rebelled. 
What happened next was a giant earthquake took place and destroyed the whole town. And the church suffered for it. Corinth was later rebuilt. Another church was established. And we find that the work that Paul did there ended there. Now, there would be people that would argue with you. There would be people that would other denominations that would say, well, we're doing a great work there. But the work that Paul was doing there with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not any other gospel but the gospel of Jesus Christ ended after Clement and after the earthquake. It's something that I think is important for our church because sometimes we just talk about victory. We talk a lot about, hey, uh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. This, we'll pull through this. And in this case, you see that it ended. I think it could still be continuing today, but it's gone. And I think it's an eye-opener of what not only, only can happen in a church, but what can happen in God's people as well. We can assume what we've got is going to last forever. We can assume that the leadership will be able to handle this forever. We can assume a lot of things. And the reality is, is that we can miss the very correction that will cause us to stand the test of time. And today's message is something that I invite all the visitors to take a look at this family conversation that we can all assume that the church will always be here. But the reality is, unless we have great leaders and listen to them, teach us the word of God and have a repentant heart for change, our church can come to an end also. Hearing about these fathers, it makes me think of something Paul said in 1 Corinthians. And it's kind of ironic that here we are at the end of 2 Corinthians, but something Paul said in 1 Corinthians was really good. At the beginning of all the correction, at the beginning of Paul talking to the Corinthians and encouraging them, he says this, I do not write these things to shame you. And that's really important. Paul's message to the Corinthians and our message today isn't to shame people. It's, but as my beloved children, I'm here to warn you. And when Paul uses this phrase, my beloved children, it should be an illustration to us, us of what great leadership is. It's not someone being bossy. It's not someone being political. Paul says, we've got to look at the fathers of our faith. And he says this. He says, for though you might, in Corinthians, though you Corinthians might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Which means that through Jesus, I have adopted you as my kids. You've got many teachers in your church. You've got 10,000 people who would love to share their political view. You've got 10,000 Facebook warriors right now ready to go. You have 10,000 Instagram people saying, I got this. Jesus just stepped back. I'll correct this country. We've got 10,000 daddies. But there's only a handful of fathers. 
And as a church, we have to ask ourselves, are we looking for the next spiritual baby daddy? Or are we really leaning into the fathers of faith that he puts into our life? Because a father will die for his child. But a daddy is just in for his pleasure. And Paul causes us to stop and think, what do you want? And this was way back in the very beginning when the first letter went out. Heck, it was just the start in chapter 4. And Paul says you've got 10,000 instructors, yet you don't have many fathers amongst you. So Paul says this. He closes by saying, therefore I urge you, imitate me. And this was his, imita this was his invitation to the Corinthian church. You're going to have a lot of people want to share their opinion, but I'm going to follow Jesus. You're going to have a lot of people that want to just get on the microphone and just say what they want to say, but I'm going to follow Jesus. You're going to have a lot of people make you promises they can't deliver on, but Paul's saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. And if you want to follow Jesus, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard on your flesh. It may have to change a lot of things in your life. But I'm going to follow Jesus. Imitate me. I think it's important for us to look at this hysterical, this historical story. Your pastor's hysterical. But this is historical. And I think there's a question that we have to ask. When it comes to our spiritual fathers... What is a spiritual leader? What is a spiritual leader? These things are important because how do we know who to follow? How do we know who we can trust? Listen, listen. I know. If I'm going to talk to you about spiritual leadership, I'm sure someone right now is thinking, he's going to ask us. He's going to ask us to follow him. We're talking about the Corinthians. The reality is, is that as I've studied this, I've had to ask myself, Ty, do you want to be a spiritual daddy? And everybody love you and everything, you're great, and everybody applauds you and get great Google reviews? Or are you ready to be the spiritual father that God's called you to be? This is really ringing true in my heart recently because I turned 50 years old. It's not as old as I thought I was going to be. 50's cool. But the reality is, is that my boys are growing up. The church doesn't need a daddy. And it's time to be the father. It's time to be someone who can step up. And a father is someone that even if everybody in the family doesn't like you, at least they know that you're not doing this for them. You're doing this for the them that you're believing for. I'm not doing this to tickle your ears. I'm not leading you to make you feel good. I'm trying to steer you from death to life. Paul shows us many times that it could cost you your life to father somebody. And when we ask the question, what is a spiritual leader, 
And we're asking also, what not only was a spiritual leader, but why are they important to the body of Christ? This is an important topic for the world we live in today. So here is what we're looking for when it comes to spiritual fathers. Not spiritual daddies, spiritual fathers. A spiritual father is somebody who will point you to Jesus. We're staying away from opinion. We're staying away from church opinion. We're not looking at denomination. We're truly, honestly able to turn to kids and say, we might have got it wrong a few times. But the more I look at Scripture, that's where Jesus is, and let's make sure we get there. One of the hardest things I ever had to do one time is apologize to Brady. And Brady had gotten a spanking for doing something that I was wrong on. And so I had to turn to Brady and march him back into his room and hand him the belt. (laughs) And Brady didn't know what to do. I said, buddy, I gave you a whipping and I was wrong, so it's time for you to give me a whipping. And the first what? He didn't hit hard enough. He was just kind of doing this. I said, buddy, no, listen, I deserve it. You just let, let, just let her rip, tater chip. Come on, buddy. Just rear back. He started enjoying it way too much. Now, I don't know how you discipline your kids. I, I'm not talking about spankings today. But a spiritual father can not only tell you where we're going, but he can also tell you where he got it wrong. And one of the things that we have to get into our hearts, that can be one of the best teaching tools, is apology. I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Because I don't want to be right. A daddy's going to fight for his image. But a father is going to fight for his family's direction. And what we see here is that Paul was constantly pointing to Jesus. Constantly pointing to Jesus. And one of the things in verse 13, chapter 13, that Paul brings up is when it comes to your faith, guys, you've got to examine and test it. You can't just assume. And he was turning to the Corinthians in this last and final chapter, and he said, listen, you can't just assume that you're living for Jesus. You have to test it. Does it model Christ? Does it look like Christ? If people that don't know you were to walk in and look at it, would they see Christ? And you have to examine your faith, and you have to allow it to be tested. Paul says this, and let's go back and look at it again. He said it in chapter 13, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And this is one of the biggest parts of why we need spiritual fathers that can come in and not tickle our ear. Because you know what the alternative to living this earth is to going to eternity and getting it wrong is one day we will be judged. One day it becomes real quickly. 
And Paul is telling them, as your father, I am lining you up with real faith to examine yourselves to see if your life looks anything like Jesus because it's better for me to be hard on you on this earth than it is for you to stand before God who will judge us. In Scripture we see that there are many who are going to stand before the Father in heaven. And they were saying, we did this in your name, and we did this in your name, and we did this in your name. And God will turn to us because we didn't judge our faith, and we didn't test our faith. And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And Paul is saying, before we get there, let's deal with it here. And spiritual fathers take us to hard conversations. That's why they're so necessary. And for us, we have to ask who's leading us. There's a lot of people who'd like to lead you, by the way. And in fact, some of the things that I looked at recently is I went to all my leadership books. I pulled John Maxwell out. I pulled Joyce Myers out. I, 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 I turned, pulled some of the best business leadership out. And everywhere I looked, no, everyone writes books about the assumption that people are following you. But no one's writing books based on what if nobody wants to hear what you have to say? And that's exactly where Paul's coming from. I know you've been mad at me. I know you don't like to hear this. I know you want to stone me. I know you want to kill me. I know you want to give up on me. Heck, you've already picked a new crop of pastors to take my spot, is what Paul's saying. But can't you see? I'm not being your spiritual daddy. I'm being your spiritual father. See, this is the things that we, we don't talk about when it comes to leadership. And the things that we don't talk about when it comes to leadership are things like this. Leaders suffer. And real leaders suffer while serving the people they love dearly. And this isn't a church thing. But when you step in to being a spiritual father or spiritual mother in your family, not everybody's going to like you. And that could be the test that you're doing it right. And you're going to have to ask yourself, have you ever, have you seen a spiritual sugar daddy suffer? Have you ever seen a spiritual sugar daddy I just made that up. That's just funny. It just kind of rolls off the lips. I don't know. This is kind of cool. Have you ever seen them walk into the room and everybody, did everybody just not go, Norm? But Paul walks into the room. And they don't yell, Paul. They throw stones. The reality is, is that if you are ready to step into, I want to speak to all the dads in the room. You're going to have to ask yourself, all the moms in the room, are you being a hindrance to your family's maturity in Christ all for the sake of you just want to be popular with your kids? I, 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 I get it. Don't think I don't. 
I get it. Dad should walk in the room and kids go, Dad. Mom should walk in the room and everybody goes, Mom. But how come it is that somebody can be a spiritual father to their family, a spiritual mother to their family, and nobody wants to go to your house anymore? It's because to be the spiritual father that God's called you to do, it's stepping into some tough stuff. It's not tickling everybody's ears. It's not doing the things that they really want you to do for them. It's asking them to do the things through Christ that you know they need to do now. It's standing up for the things that are kingdom things, not temporary things. It's teaching your children to walk in the spirit, not walk in the flesh. It's turning to your children and correcting them on the words that they use because those words don't lead to life. It's being the person that can step up and say this job is not easy, but this job is necessary. It's not being a burden on your kids. Paul was never a burden. It was actually being love and grace and truth. Grace and truth and grace and truth. And grace and truth. And if you think I'm making this up, let me show you what it says in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, they're encouraging this young man, okay? And, and it says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And what's going on here is they're reminding this leader, this, this, this leader who is really wanting to be there for people. And he's being asked to be a spiritual daddy. But they're reminding him of the depth of a spiritual father. And don't forget Jesus, who suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Leaders suffer for the good. That when someone decides to finally choose the path that God has for them, it leads to life. And speaking of life, leaders also lay down their life. Spiritual daddies only fend for themselves. Spiritual fathers step in to protect their children. They can take the blow. They can take the cross. In 1 John chapter 3, 16, it says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This doesn't just mean, I don't think of a burning house and running into the front door and saving everybody. This isn't lifting a car over your head to save everybody inside. This is actually you as a spiritual father or a spiritual mother deciding my popularity, my family approval is not as important as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. Jesus, our greatest example, the one that Paul was constantly pointing to. 
said this. I have set you an example. I have been the example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Today's message is the last and final message in this series, and it's a wake-up call for everybody in this room. There is a life that needs to be lived, but not a life for your popularity. It's a life for life. I want to speak to a few groups of people I've been praying over you, and I did this in the last service, but I want to talk to everybody 50 and over. You could maybe be called the boomers. One of the attitudes that we find in the boomers today is a, I'm done with these guys mentality. Rain on you kids. That's how you're going to be. And I want to turn to every boomer in the room and watching online. And in the name of Jesus... It is not time for you to give up on these generations. It is not time for you to get a bitter, angry attitude towards them either. It is not time for you to throw your sucker in the dirt and for you just to go, take me home, Jesus. Jesus don't want you right now. You are a generation that God is not done with. And it doesn't matter if you don't feel valued. Paul didn't feel valued either. And do you think Jesus felt valued when he was hanging on the cross? It's time to suck up your pride. It's time to put your emotions aside. Put your feelings aside in love. I love you. And to remind you that you are a leader. And the kids are watching. And this is your moment that you will have the greatest impact on the days you have left if you step into your anointing to be the spiritual mothers and the spiritual fathers that God has called you to and not into the retirement sugar daddy and sugar mama you want to be. You're just ready to give up. I'm just ready to go to the happy place. Get me around people my own age. Oh, come on. Who runs a 26-mile marathon and then decides to walk the last three miles? We got to kick it in when it matters most. We've got to step up and dig deep because our latter years could be greater than our former years. Your wisdom matters. Your knowledge of the Word of God is important. We have gone far too long without the Word of God sharpening us. And let me just turn to the boomers and just the Word of God has to go back and sharpen your heart again. It needs to come alive. Your prayer life needs to come back to a point to where you hang pic pictures of the people you love the most on your prayer closet wall. And you go back and believe that the Holy Spirit would give you the impartation of the heart of God to bring revelation to people who may look like they don't want to hear it. And this ship may sink. Just like Corinthians did. But at least you went out 
and said, not on my watch. It is time to rise to the moment. It is time to come to the challenge. And it is time for you to be the spiritual fathers and the spiritual mothers that God has called you to. For everybody 50 and under, we, because I'm still there, have not lived a full life yet. We have been through a lot. We have experienced a complete shift in the way life has been done. More technology has happened in our lifetime, but it doesn't mean that we're smarter. It means we might actually be number. Not dumber, number. It means that things that should affect us aren't affecting us anymore. And calluses that kind of build itself up aren't are, are, are causing things that should penetrate us to deflect off of us. And can I turn to you and say, I truly believe with all my heart the Word of God is still the answer to everything we're going through. That it is something that has led and directed people to the heart of God not to a better understanding of their society and culture. It has actually directed us to the heart of God, but it has taken spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers that have taken the word of God and passed it down from generation to generation. And we must become humble again. We must become humble. And we must be the generation that turns and dies to our emotion and dies to our flesh or we'll end up getting everything we want and it not be what we thought it was going to be. There are spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers who God is putting on your heart right now that you need to go to and say, will you teach me the word of God? Will you pray for me? Every day at this time, I'm going to call you. This is to your spiritual mother, to your spiritual father. And you're going to call them. Don't expect them to call you. And you are going to call them and you're going to say, at 9 o'clock every morning, at 8 o'clock every morning, at 3.30 every morning when you get up. See, you get the generation joke there. Anyway, will you pray for me? Will you be my prayer warrior? Will you be the one that stirs up the gift of God and together we can pursue God because I need a spiritual father in my life. I need a spiritual mother in my life because I'm afraid if we don't, we'll start appointing people that will only distract us from the things of God instead of direct us to the things of God. Let's everybody just bow your head. Everybody, all over this room. Let me just take a minute. Father God, today I just pray for this church. And I want to just pray right now for every person that is just ready to give up. But there's a calling on their life to stir the gift of God inside of them. And they have an anointing. They have a calling, a mandate to be the spiritual father 
and be the spiritual mother, a leader. Today, Father, I pray that they wouldn't look at the conditions they're in, but they would recognize the God that's not done with their life yet. Father, I pray for every 50 and younger in this room that we can get so distracted with the things we want and the things we desire and how we're going to get it. We can be so judgmental that we're doing it better than they did it. We miss the reality that perhaps we're investing in the things that only matter to this earth, but not eternally. And you would put a hunger in each and every one of our hearts to have those spiritual leaders in our life to sharpen us, to stretch our faith muscles, to see the kingdom of God and to want the kingdom of God that can bless our lives by praying with us and studying scripture with us and leaning into your kingdom. And Father, I pray for a hunger right now for these things. I pray that something amazing through this story of seeing how Corinthians turned out would begin to ask us, how are we going to turn out? Father, I speak life over this audience. Life in you, through you, by you, for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Stand to our feet. Conway Junction, our prayer team is going to be up here. They would love to pray for you. If you're in this room and you're like, I want what he was talking about today. These people is a step in the right direction. What if you got out of your seat today, simply walked up to one of our prayer partners and said, would you pray that the spirit of the living God would come alive in me so that I can know God's plan for my life and my family. Come on. If you need prayer, our prayer team is here for you. Church, let's worship the Lord.